All right, well, good morning. My name is Scott. I'm the student pastor here. Uh, yeah, so Operation Christmas Child, if you look in your bulletin, you should have a green sheet of paper that has uh, even more information on that. Things that are, uh, that are needed, uh, still some items, some toys, things like that, as well as uh, boxes. Uh, there's a bunch of just different details and information and things like that that are on that sheet of paper, as well as some dates of uh, deadlines to bring things in. Uh, there's also a date uh, where we're going to come together as, as a church right here. Uh, we're going to actually you know, pack up, box up these, these gifts, these toys. We're going to wrap them. We're going to you know, sort them out uh, into age groups and boys and girls and things like that. Uh, that's an awesome time as well, just to get to come together and, uh, and just to fellowship together and to be able to do that as well. Uh, and you can also check out here in the Welcome Center, there's a table that has a lot of just uh, toys and boxes and things like that. It has more information uh, about Operation Christmas Child. This is just a huge ministry opportunity, a huge uh, event that we get to take part of. It's a, it's a great way that uh, just to be able to minister to kids around the world that a small toy, something like a, a stuffed animal or a yo-yo or whatever it is, when they get it, it means a whole lot to them to be able to have something like that, to be able to have a possession of their own. Uh, so I hope you'll take advantage of the opportunity to be able to just feed into some kids' lives uh, around the world that just don't have, uh, their families don't have the resources and the ability to be able to provide for them a Christmas in the way that we normally uh, experience Christmas here in the state. So I hope that you'll do that and check out that information. Uh, so today, uh, we are in the in between two, uh, two series where you did this, the story of my life over the last several weeks, just getting to hear testimonies, which were incredible. They were awesome. Uh, getting to hear testimonies about uh, just individuals and families and, and couples as they have turned their life over to Christ, as they have uh, begun to come uh, to church and have experienced how God has just worked in their life and how he's uh, authoring a new story in their life. Uh, and then also this next week, we're starting off our new series on Job over the next four weeks. It's going to be uh, just an incredible time as we just talk about the sovereignty of God in, in the ways that we uh, suffer and the ways that we face uh, trials and things like that. And so I hope that you're excited about that uh, series as we begin uh, to kick that off next week. Uh, so just thinking about where we were going in this series uh, on Job in here uh, next week, uh, when Pastor Chris asked me to preach uh, today on the in-between week of these two series, I began to just think about what's the, you know, what's, what are we getting ready to go into? What's the thing that we're coming up on? And if you know anything about the story of Job is that uh, Job had a lot of suffering. I uh, had, a, had a big storm in a, in a way uh, that he was facing. Uh, so today, the idea of a storm is, is coming. I want us to be able to look at a passage of Scripture, a passage I actually shared with our students a few weeks ago uh, about uh, Jesus, ultimately Jesus walking on the water, but the fact that it's so much more than Jesus walking on the water in that passage of Scripture. Um, I've been here now just a little over uh, two years, two years and a couple months. And when I first got here, somebody asked me this question that I will never forget because it took kind of stunned me because I wasn't really sure what they were referring to uh, right off the bat. And they asked, are you nautical? And I'm like, nautical. And I, started, I began to think nautical like, uh, like boats, like water, like, you know, that kind of thing. And I was beginning to think about that. And I was like, well, you know, I've, I've never really been out on the ocean in a boat other than like a cruise boat. So like, I didn't have any job responsibilities uh, on a cruise boat. So I was like, well, no, but, but growing up back in, uh, just outside of St. Louis in Illinois, we had a, a big lake that we would go to like every weekend, every other weekend. And we would, you know, fish and we would ski and we would do all these kinds of things. So I was like, well, I, you know, I've driven a boat as a kid. I, I've skied as a kid. I've done, you know, I know how to tie it up. I know how, you know, I know how the bumpers work, you know, all these kinds of things. I was like, I was like yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm nautical, sure, you know. And so, uh, you know, some of you, that's when you, if you were asked that question, that would maybe be the first thing that comes to your mind is, yeah, you know, I, 
you spend time around boats and the water and things like that. Now, some of you, whenever you were asked that question, you would be thinking about, let's see, uh, maybe like that, you know, that clothing, red and navy blue with, uh, you know, like, uh, you know, ship wheels and anchors and stuff from like the mid-90s of like, you know, yeah, yeah, I, I wore that stuff all the time. Uh, and there's even some of you that are here like, that was a mid-90s thing. Maybe I should go back through my closet right when I get home and check that out because uh, I thought that was still in. Uh, no, it's not, uh, just so you know. Uh, <laughs> let me help you out on that. Uh, you know, so Nautica clothing, you might think of like something like that. But what I want us to think about today is if you were asked that question, are you, are you nautical? Are you someone that is about boats and water and things like that? Do you realize that the disciples, uh, those were some nautical guys. Uh, these were some guys that spent their time around fishing and boating. And uh, even the ones that weren't fishermen, they had to use boats often, whether it was to get their own food, whether it was to just to travel. Uh, those were some guys that were very involved in, in water and in boats and how all of that just kind of you know, played out uh, in their life. But here's what's cool. When I began to think of that question, and I began to ask myself, well, am I nautical? Am I experienced with, with boats and, and water and, and stuff like that? And I've, yeah, I, I, I've got some experience with those things. I have some really good experiences, man, just some awesome times as a kid. And uh, even since then, as an adult with family and friends and things like that, experiences on boats. Uh, but there's also those bad experiences. I mean, if you have a bad experience in a boat, you remember it. It's something that's very vivid in your mind. You can picture the day and the weather and, you know, what you were wearing or maybe even, you know, all that kind of stuff because it was a bad experience. Uh, on a boat. Now, for me, I've had a, a couple of these uh, situations. One, uh, as a kid, uh, my dad and I in a boat, and we're going on the lake. And all of a sudden, we hit something. There was a loud thud. And at first, it was like, oh my gosh, what did we hit? When we look back, and the back three, four feet of the boat begins to peel off of the boat, and it begins <laughs> to sink on this one side. So instantly, we you know, went to the dock as the boat began, and we got it in there before the boat sank. You know, money and years later, that boat was fixed, and we were able to use it again. Uh, but the boat began to sink. Now, if you were to say, yeah, I'm nautical, and that was your only experience in a boat, we would probably say, no, you're not nautical at all, right? Like, that's <laughs> a bad idea. Uh, you know, and I've been in a canoe. If you've ever been, like, you know, uh, like, whether it's rafting or, you know, and canoeing is something in the Midwest that's big. You know, take these rivers and go down them in a canoe. And if you've ever been in, like, a float trip of this kind of thing in a canoe, uh, you may have had this experience where you go with groups. And, you know, naturally, you begin to sling water at everybody. You begin to push on their canoe and try to get them to flip over and all these kinds of things. You, you gradually get some water in your boat. And sometimes you got to, you know, stop and, and dump it over and things like that. Uh, but I remember an experience where we were kind of in the same thing, but me and my friend that were in the canoe, uh, all of a sudden we were getting just water was just, you know, just filling up in the canoe, but there was nobody pushing on the boat and there was nobody, uh, you know, flinging water at us. It was just naturally coming up through the holes in the, in the bottom of the boat, apparently. And we got down to where about this much of the canoe was showing and we're, you know, paddling in waist high water. We're like, okay, this is not going to work. We still got like three miles to go, uh, you know, in the paddling. So we began to sink. And, you know, and even further than that, uh, for me personally, uh, when I was uh, a teenager and uh, we went to Florida uh, on vacation with some family, a bunch of my aunts and uncles and cousins, we all went down and uh, there was this time where uh, we had rented a, a, a jet ski and we, you know, taken turns on this jet ski going out into like the bay of the, you know, where we were at and um, I went out there once with, uh, with my cousin, who's, she's a year older than me, but I like, I drive it out to the end of this bay, and there's like a sandbar out there, kind of cool, we pull up on there, we flip, you know, switch spots, and she begins to, you know, I want to drive, I want to drive, so I let her switch, so she drives, so I'm sitting on the back, and we begin to take off, and I kid you not, we got about 100 yards off of this, 
this you know sandbar there uh, in the water, and there's a boat. And, you know, it's kind of going this way. We're kind of going this way, and I see it, and I'm like, okay, you know, like, hey, you see that boat? And she's like, yeah. I'm like, we're still going. I'm like, you know, I'm tapping. You see the boat? And she's like, yeah. I'm like, all right, you need to turn. Okay. And I'm like, do you see the? I kid you not. She went right into the side of that thing and t-boned it. I'm like, we're in the bay. We're perhaps the only two boats within a mile of us, and you hit the boat. Now, as you can imagine, the family in that boat, the, the dad, w- was not too happy at this point and was fairly mad. But when we hit that boat, I fell off the back. She falls off. That guy's screaming. About this point, I remembered my fear of sharks. And then I'm kind of like, get my cousin out the room, get me back up on the jet ski. And, you know, and so he begins to yell at us, right, you know, going on and going on. And uh, we're like, man, we are so sorry. He's like, well, I might be cracked or might be broke. And, you know, I, well, I'm sorry. You know, I, whatever we can do, you know. Uh, and we began to give our information. We're like, hey, if, if you get back to the water and there's, you know, out of the water, get the boat out of the water and, there, and there's something wrong with it, uh, just contact us. Um, my last name's Huff, and my cousin, her, her last name is Lane, uh, and we're staying at the, you know, whatever, Holiday Inn or whatever it was. And uh, he says, okay, Huff, Lane, Holiday Inn, he writes it down. He's like, I'll be in contact. And we're like, oh, great, you know, so we're thinking we're going to get in trouble. And so we go on, and we get back to the thing. We pull up, and my cousin, you know, I, let, I made her sit on the back the rest, the rest of the way. I'm like, you're going to hit another boat. There's only, like, two more to go, you know. <laughs> so I made her sit on the back, so we pull in, and, uh, you know, and she's kind of just scared. And my, we begin to tell the situation. And my uncle begins to, you know, scream, yell, throw my cousin around the parking lot a little bit or whatever he was doing. And, uh, and we're like, Mom, you know, like I said, I, you know, it was, I don't know how bad it was, I said, but we gave him our information. Uh, we told him, you know, hey, my last name's Huff, her last name's Lane, we're staying at the Holiday Inn or whatever, and, and she's like, man, that's, that's really good of you to be able to do that. That's really, you know, that's the smart thing, that's the nice thing to do. But the problem is the rooms are booked under your other uncle's name, which is Taylor. I'm like, oh. So at this point, if, if you ever go to Florida and there's somebody looking for a Huff and Lane with a hole in the side of their boat, just tell me you don't know who I am uh, when you get there. Uh, you know, but it's things like that, these, these stories about, if you have a story on the water, you remember if it's a bad one. If you have a bad experience on the water, you will remember it. Now, these disciples that we have, they were experienced in being on the water. They had experience uh, navigating a boat and, and fishing and getting through uh, storms and things like that. But no matter how experienced you are, you're still going to need some help. And that's what I want us to look at today. Out of John 6, uh, verse 15 to 21, uh, as we get ready to lead into that, I just want you to kind of have an idea of where we're at in this point of Jesus' ministry. He has just got done uh, feeding over 5,000 people with five loaves of bread and two fish. When he gets to this, he has just done this, this miracle where he's taken uh, this kid's lunch, blessed it, and they've passed it out, and they've had not only enough to feed everyone, but they have had 12 baskets of leftovers right there for them. Now, this is a huge miracle. A great miracle that the disciples were right there. They were able to be a part of uh, the Jewish people at the time who did not believe that Jesus was the Messiah, that he was the Christ. They experience it and they see this. But the more that the Jews are experiencing the miracles of Jesus, the more they are saying, man, this, this is him. This is the Christ. This is the Messiah. And more of them begin to believe and turn their life over to him. So I want to pick up the story right here uh, in John 6, verse 15. It says this, Perceiving then that they, meaning the Jews, were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. You see, Jesus, who perceived these things, he is God in the flesh. He is all-knowing. He perceived that the Jewish people are beginning to see what he is doing, what he is capable of, who he is as the Christ, and they want to make him king. 
they're going to take him by force even to make him king. And it says that he knew this was coming at this point. So he withdrew by himself away and he began to pray. Now, there's some things in scripture that I always want to like, that I would love to just have the answer for. Like, what was he praying? What was, what was Jesus praying right then? He had just got done doing this, this miracle of feeding, you know, 5,000, you know, people with like a bag of filet of fish sandwiches almost, you know, in a way. And just, you know, he's blessing them and they're going out and just all this people are, getting, are eating, but then they're having enough food that there are leftovers. And he goes away to pray. Does he go away to pray and to say, man, thank you for, you know, Father, thank you for, for working this miracle through me. For allowing people to see this miracle happen, to see them uh, witness and experience this, and then ultimately believe in him. Is that what he's praying? Or maybe he's praying for the next miracle. Hey, man, that was God, you know, Father, that was, that was awesome. Let's do something else. Maybe he was praying for the next thing. Or maybe it was just a general conversation with the Father. It was just a general conversation about thanksgiving, about praise, about providing through him and for him as he goes out into a, a, another area. And ultimately, what we're going to see is that he walks out into a storm. Here's the important thing for us, I think, to realize as believers. If you are a believer in Christ, or whether you're not a believer in Christ today, that when you have an experience of a storm, it is very difficult to pray and to talk and to find a way to begin a relationship with God in a storm, during a storm. Sometimes we need to be prepared before the storm comes. A lot of times after a storm is generally maybe even an easier way for us to begin a relationship with God. So we need to begin to prepare. We need to always be praying, always be talking to the Father. Now, we're going to move along uh, here in, uh, in verse uh, 16. In verse 16, it says this. Uh, when evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into a boat, and started across the sea to Capernaum. It was now dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them. The sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat, and they were frightened. But he said to them, it is I, do not be afraid. Then they were glad to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. What I want us to be able to do today is to be able to pull out a couple truths, spiritual truths, out of this passage of Scripture. And the first one I have for you uh, this morning is, we will leave Jesus' presence to maintain our own will. Think about that. We will leave the presence of of Jesus to maintain our own will. These disciples were too worried about keeping a schedule. Man, Jesus, that was awesome. We just fed 5,000 people, but we got to go. We got somewhere we got to be. And they, they begin to leave. Jesus was right there, and he's praying. They're like, well, I'm going to go ahead, and I'm just going to leave Jesus at this point. If you look in verse 16 and 17, it says, when evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into a boat, and started across the sea to Capernaum. It was now dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them. So evenings come. They're worried about the dark. They're worried about the time and the schedule that they're trying to keep, and they leave. Now, if I'm a disciple, and I have just seen and experienced this awesome miracle of 5,000 people being fed, which is five loaves of bread and two fish, I wouldn't leave. I wouldn't want to leave the presence of Jesus where I've just seen this awesome miracle happen. Now, what if he does another miracle while I'm gone? If I'm a disciple, that's what I would be thinking. But here's the the crazy part. So many of us right now, we do that. We experience a miracle through Jesus Christ. We experience the presence of Jesus Christ. And we're like, man, that's awesome. He's right there side by side with me. But I'm going to go over here. I'm going to do this. I've got my own schedule, my own passion, my own desire, my own will. 
And I want to see that happen. Jesus, you're doing a great job. I'm, I'm, I'm going to go check this out over here. Now, what does it take for us to be side by side with Jesus and to say, you know what? I'm going to stay side by side with Jesus. The problem is our, our schedules or our passions or our, our family or our, our job, our, our, our kids, our money, our stuff, whatever it is, all these things have replaced Jesus as our Lord. That we begin to look to those things for our satisfaction, that we begin to leave the presence of Jesus to be in the presence of those things. Why do we do that? Maybe it's our selfishness. Maybe it's our pride. Maybe it's our arrogance. That we think, man, you know, the presence of Jesus is great. But what if it's not the best? So maybe we need to ask ourselves a question like this. Do we actually trust that God's presence is best for us? Do we actually trust that the presence of God, being in the presence of God, is the best thing for us? See, I think this is something that, uh, for a lot of non-believers, I think they don't, I think non-believers, I don't think uh, necessarily have an issue. They may even believe that that Jesus is the Son of God. They may believe that Jesus uh, died on the cross, that he was even resurrected. But they struggle with the fact, is the relationship with Jesus really the best thing? But some of us, even as believers, we may struggle with this too. That we struggle with like, man, Jesus has saved me from my sin. He's brought me out of the pits of hell. But do I really need to be side by side, have him with me, walking along? The answer is is yeah. Because we can't do this on our own. We can't make it through this life, this this life of storms and, and trials and struggles. We can't make it through that on our own. We need Jesus along side by side to be able to prepare us for the storm, to be able to guide us through a storm, and then to be able to pull us out of the storm at the end. You see, the second thing is this. It's hard to see Jesus when we are in a storm. It's hard to see him when we were in a storm. Uh, the disciples were battling the storm at night. Uh, it made it difficult for him to see, difficult for him to, to navigate. But here's what's crazy is some of you like, may have never even been on a, a boat in a storm. You may have never experienced a, being on a boat in a storm and, and the issues of being able to navigate and tell where you're at, where you're going, all those kinds of things. But I would say that majority of us have been in a car in a storm, that all of a sudden it's nice out, and then all of a sudden just this, the buckets open up, and there's this rain, and it, you got the wipers going, and all of a sudden you go from being the guy laid back in your car with the radio crank to like, you know, you slide your seat up, you turn the radio off, because somehow that makes you see better, uh, and then you get grabbed both wheels, and all of a sudden you become the, the little old lady that you were yelling at just an hour earlier in the car, and you're up here, and you go from 60 to 30, and you're, you know, you're trying to see, you're trying to navigate through the storm. Why? Because it's difficult. It's tough to see. These uh, disciples are going to experience the same thing uh, where it is difficult to see and to navigate because they have a storm that is coming on them. Now, they are nautical, so they have experienced storms. They have made it through storms. They have seen and, and worked their way through them. But the guidance of someone like Jesus would make it that much easier and would ultimately lead them to their destination. You see, Jesus was even coming towards them already at this point, but they didn't even know it. He was already working his way towards them on the water, but they don't even know. If you hear one thing, hear this. You can pick your storm, or excuse me, you can't pick your storm, but you can pick your Savior. You can't pick the storm you're going into, but you can pick the captain of your boat. You see, it's hard to see Jesus when we are in the storm. When we are navigating our life, or navigating our boat into a storm, it's difficult to see. The problem that these disciples had, this, it, it consumed and it blocked their vision. The problem of, of the storm and the waves and the wind and the rain, all these things are coming at them and they're just really struggling that they don't even see Jesus walking towards them until he's getting close. The focus that they had, it was diverted. 
It, it, it was moved away from the mission or the goal of the boat, and it was moved away because of the fear, because of the anxiety, the, 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 stri- the trial and the struggle that they were involved in at this point, which leads to the third thing, that Jesus will reveal himself to us clearly. He'll reveal himself to us clearly. Verse 19 says, when they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat, and they were frightened. Jesus pursues after the disciples. He pursues after them on foot, three or four miles out into the water. And when he comes up on them, they begin to have to be fearful. They begin to be frightened. You see, Jesus pursues after each one of us in the same way. That he comes to us, and sometimes the storm that we're in, the trial, the struggle, or sometimes maybe the good things, the, the calmness even becomes a, a, a blockade for us. It becomes to begin to just where we can't even see Jesus coming. You see, the storm gets so deep, and we're so focused on the storm and the things and the surroundings around us, the fear that we have, that we don't even look and see Jesus as he's walking towards us. But he reveals himself to us clearly. You see, he revealed himself to these men through his appearance to them. He shows up. He walks out onto the water, up to their boat, to reveal himself to them. You see, Jesus reveals himself to us today in very real ways as well. He reveals himself to us through his works, through the way that he orchestrates things going on around in our life, through the way that he orchestrates people in our lives that maybe have invited us to church or that maybe sit down and share the gospel with us, or maybe even just the works in someone else's life where we're able to see and experience that and be, and be like, man, look how Jesus is working in their life. Or maybe it's how he's just specifically working in our own life. It begins to convict us of our sin, where we have a sin or a temptation in our life that we struggle with. And all of a sudden, the more we grow closer to God, the more we grow that relationship with him, that he begins to say, you know what? Why don't we take that out? You don't need that. You use that sometimes to to be the Lord of your life when it should be me. So not only through his works, but also through his word. The time that we spend studying the Bible, the time that we spend studying scripture through the week on our own, and also on Sunday when we come together. Maybe in a life group, we spend time studying God's word. And when we're doing this, we begin to see how God opens up and reveals himself to us. He begins to reveal himself to us in ways where maybe we hear a passage of scripture or something Pastor Chris says, and we hear a, this, this phrase or the, a point or whatever it may be. And it may that God uses that and begins to speak into us about something along those lines, or maybe not even to do with that, but it leads us down another path. Let me tell you this, if you ever have the experience where you're listening uh, to myself or Pastor Chris or whoever it is that's preaching, and God begins to just open your eyes to something and, and begins to speak into your life about something else that maybe the, that you're not even listening to us at that point, man, listen to that because that's God. Now, I'm not talking like I said five loaves and two fish, and you're like, oh, fish tacos. I really want fish tacos for lunch. No, but when it's like he walks on the water and pursues after me, you begin to think, man, I remember how he pursued after me. I remember how he used that friend of mine when I was 12 years old to invite me to church. I remember how he used my mom or my dad to to bring me to church or bring me to a vacation Bible school. Or I remember how that friend at work, and you begin to think, and you begin to work down that path, and that's God speaking to you. And let me tell you this, if you ever get get that experience where God begins to speak through you into that point, quit listening to us because what God's saying is going to be a whole lot better than what we have. Because that's God speaking into your life through his word. But not only through his works, in his word, but also through his worship. Just a few moments ago, we were singing, and we're going to sing some more here in a, in a few more minutes. We don't sing and worship just to fill time and space. We're like, oh, man, we need to keep people here an hour or so. Let's do like half hour of message and a half hour of singing. No. 
We don't do it to show off the talents of our band who are awesome. But what we do is we worship because we get to experience the presence of God right here with us in this room. Where two or more are gathered, that's where he's going to be. That you can experience God right here in, the, in this room as we, as we worship him, as we sing, as we praise him, as we thank him for how he's working in our life. And your time of worship is the way that, is the way that God's working to reveal himself to you uh, in an even greater way. But he pursues after us. He reveals himself to us at a specific time in our life when our hearts are open to our need for a savior. And then we turn to him as savior. See, there's going to be a time in your life at whatever age and whatever situation that you're in that he is going to reveal himself to you and you're going to be like, man, I have sin that is leading me down the wrong path. I have sin that is leading me towards hell and I need a savior. I can't do it on my own. I can't use, I can't navigate my own boat, my own life to get through every, all the storms that I'm going to face. I need a captain. I need a savior. I need Jesus to be the captain of my life to be able to push me and guide me through that storm. But we need to invite him into the boat but the problem is this, number four, we are our own obstruction to seeing Jesus. We're our own obstruction. Verse 20, uh, Jesus says to them, it is I, do not be afraid. You see, the disciples' fear nearly stops them from even seeing Jesus. Our own fears can stop us from encountering Jesus too. Think about that. When you experience or you encounter Jesus in a way that he begins to just reveal himself to you after he has been pursuing after you, and he says, here I am, and he says, don't be afraid. But our own fears begin to push us away. Man, but what if, you know, I, I really see what Jesus is doing. I see how he can, what he can do in my life, but I, I don't really want to give this up. I have kind of this thing that I don't want to give up. I have this struggle, this, this, what would be considered a sin in my life or a temptation, but I don't really want to give it up because I really like to do it. And some of us, that's, that's fearful because what if he asked me to give that up? What if he asked me to stop doing that? Or better yet, what if he asked me to do something that I'm not comfortable doing? Like telling people at my work that I have a relationship with Jesus, that I even go to church. What if he asked me to do that? I don't know that I can handle that. And our fears begin to, you know, stop us or obstruct us from even seeing Jesus. But maybe not even the fear of what he might ask us to do or the fear of what he might, or the fear of what he might ask us to stop or even the fear of what people might think of us. But some of us even have this fear of, and I just don't think I can live a Christ-centered life. I don't think I can live a Jesus-centered lifestyle. Well, let me tell you this. And every one of us, we can't unless Jesus is the center of that life. We can't keep trying to live a Jesus-centered lifestyle. Meanwhile, we keep pushing him out of the boat, pushing him out of our life. He has to be the center of our life for that to happen. Our fear uh, is a crippling feeling that can stop us from experiencing something great. Uh, it's also so hard to remove a fear once it's kind of been established and set up in our life. Do you remember as a kid in the dark, the monsters? You know what I'm talking about? Like, anybody have nightlight? Nightlight, be honest. Don't, am I the only one that had a nightlight? Come on now. All right, all right, okay. Yeah, because why do you want a nightlight? Because it's dark. And why do you want a nightlight? Because I want to see the monsters coming after me so that I know to run. So that's why I have a nightlight. Greatest invention for kids ever, right? A nightlight. We're afraid of the dark. Maybe afraid, what about tight places? Anybody afraid of tight places? Anybody? Yeah. Okay, okay. Yeah, you're the kids that like when you play hide and seek, you get in the closet and after like two minutes, you come flailing out, freaking out like, I'm it, I give up, I quit. Like, I, I, I can't stay in there any longer. It's too, too tight and people are breathing on me and like, you start freaking out. Or bugs, I don't get that one because you just step on them, I don't really get it. If it's small, you just, it, that was it. Like, you could, I mean, you could do it really easily. You know, we have these, these different 
fears that we build up in our life. You have a fear of what Jesus might ask you to do. You know, one of my uh, favorite shows of all time is Seinfeld. Seinfeld's a great show. Uh, but Seinfeld, one of the funniest parts about Seinfeld for me is always the stand-up stuff he kind of does maybe at the beginning or right at the end of an of a episode. Uh, and one of the things that I never forget is because I always thought it was hilarious because he's talking about uh, some fears of something. But ultimately, he's, he says, you know, they did some research in, in America. And the majority of, as they, after they did this poll, uh, the greatest fear in Americans, the number one is public speaking. And number two is death. It's like, number two is death. So what he says is, ultimately, if you were at a funeral, most of us would rather be the one in the casket than the one giving the, the eulogy or the message. You know, like, how twisted is that? How messed up are we to be like, I would rather be dead than talk? Like, there's some of you that are like, if you were up here, you would rather be dead than do that. And that is a messed up fear. But how many fears do we have that are really messed up? Because we've established them in our own life. We've brought them on ourselves, and we begin to use these fears. And like, man, I can't trust in Jesus because he might ask me to actually tell my friend about Jesus. I can't actually trust in Jesus because I might have to adjust my my priorities in uh, in my marriage or in my family. And we struggle with it because we have so many things that we are set in that we don't want to give up. Our schedule, our family life, our passions, our sports, all these different things. And we begin to rely on those things as our Lord instead of on Jesus as our Lord. Number five, in our weakness is where he is strongest. In our weakness is where he is strongest. Uh, for this point, I want to jump over to Matthew uh, verse four, or excuse me, chapter 14, verse 28 to 31, which this is another account of the same story. It's Matthew's account of it. Uh, but he includes this part uh, in his account, and it says uh, in, in verse 28, And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. He said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water, and he came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, O you of little faith, why did you doubt? This part of the story, this part of the story uh, that we see here in Matthew, our weakness is where he is strongest. Peter steps out of the boat, actually walks on water like Jesus. Why? Because his faith was so great at that point. But then as the storm begins to brew around him, the wind begins to hit him and face him, he begins to lose his faith. It begins to weaken and it begins to sink. How often when things are calmer, we're like, man, I'll step out in faith. Man, I'll step out and do that when it's calm. But all of a sudden, something starts to go a little bit wrong. We're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. And your faith begins to weaken. See, that's what happened to Peter right here. And he cries out, Lord, save me. His faith actually becomes weak. He begins to drown. Because why? The water is rough. It's a storm. It is something that when we step out of faith, it doesn't ensure a calm situation. We see these pictures of Jesus walking out on the water. You ever seen every picture you see of Jesus walking on the water? The water is calm, right? It's flat. And he's just like, you know, he's like strolling along. No, there's waves. There's he's like, you know, walking over hills and things like Now, I'm in Charleston, so let me explain what a hill is, okay? A hill for all of you, <laughs> you look, go out to like the trash dump, but imagine it without the trash under it, okay? And that's a hill, okay? So like, imagine like, you know, this, you know, mounds and he's going through and there's rain and there's wind, his hair's blowing everywhere, you know, or whatever. It's not just calm. You see, when you step out into a storm, it's going to be tough because your faith is going to weaken, But if you keep your focus and your eyes on Jesus Christ, it's going to maintain your faith. It's going to increase it. And when you come out on the other side, your faith is going to be so much stronger than when you went into the storm. Peter experienced this. 
And the coolest part about this is, is when we step out into, uh, step out in faith. You've heard that, that, that expression, step out in faith and do this. Step out in faith, take that new job. Step out in faith and do this with your family. When you step out in faith, realize this, you're not stepping out of the boat in the, alone. But you're stepping out with Jesus. He's side by side. He's right in front of you. You are not stepping out alone. But your faith has to increase. Your focus and your priority needs to continue to be on who Jesus Christ is. When we call on the Lord to save us, as Peter did, he reaches out and he does it. To simply be in a storm and to begin to have our faith weaken and we call out, Lord, save me. He reaches out and he saves us. Which leads to number six. Once he enters our lives, our eternity is changed. Once he enters our lives, our eternity is changed. Verse 21, uh, it says, Then they were glad to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. You see, upon encountering Jesus, as they encounter Jesus and they invite him into the boat, they immediately reach their destination. Your boat, your life, when you bring Jesus Christ into your boat, you invite him into your boat, into your life, you immediately reach the destination. The destination is this, it's righteousness, it's holiness, it's being in the kingdom of God, the family of God, to be in his presence. That's the destination. That's the goal, that's the hope. But it only comes when you invite him into your boat. So many of us, we have this boat, this life that we are navigating these storms and we're trying to make our way through it. And the whole time Jesus is pursuing after us. He's right there, he's walking alongside and he's just saying, you just gotta invite me in. What would have happened if they hadn't invited him in? I asked myself that. Like what happens if they would have been like, oh man, it's a ghost, as they said in one of the other accounts uh, of this same story. It's a ghost, and they begin to go away. They begin to navigate away. They begin to push away from him, even though he's coming towards them. That's what happens to a lot of us. Jesus pursues after us. He becomes towards us, and we begin to be fearful about the change that might come, about what we might have to adjust or how we might have to alter our life or the fear of what people might think, and we begin to try to navigate away. We begin to try to take our boat another direction. But the coolest part is, if you will just submit your life to Jesus, invite him into your boat and allow him to take over, no matter what storm comes at you, your captain is Jesus Christ. He's your savior. He's gonna navigate you through the storm and your faith is gonna continue to increase. Some of you here today uh, have never placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. That you've got this boat, this life of yours that you've been trying to navigate on your own and you may have Jesus walking alongside you right there in your boat. On the, he's in the water or standing on the water and you're in the boat and you see him, you know who he is, you know a lot about him. You may even be able to sing to him, but he's not with you. And you need to invite him into your life and quit trying to navigate and see the destination on your own. When you invite Jesus into your life, the destination is already reached. Everything else, the storms, the trials, and the struggles are something that he guides us through, that he pushes us through, and he allows us to come out on the other side. The question is this, you can't pick your storm, but you can pick your Savior. Now, who is it? Let's pray. Father God, uh, this morning, uh, Lord, we are uh, just grateful to be in this place. Um, Father, for your word and how, uh, just how it can speak to each one of us in different ways. Father, I pray right now that you've been working in the hearts of, uh, of all of us in this room. Father, that, uh, that our life is, is similar to uh, navigating a boat. And that, God, that uh, whatever the storms, whatever the trials and the suffering and the struggles that are coming our way, God, I pray that you're the captain of each one of our boats. Father, that you are our Savior. Lord, we can't pick what's coming at us, the storms that uh, are about ready to attack us, the storms that we've even been through. But, God, I pray that we allow you to be the one that guides us through it. 
that we hand over the wheel to you, that you take over. Father, we know that you will bring us through on the other side even stronger. Father, for all of the individuals in this room, God, those that have a relationship with you, I pray that maybe some of them are in here that uh, they've invited you into the boat uh, and have as Savior of their life, but they're having a tough time giving up the wheel, that they don't want to allow you to be the Lord of their life because you might ask them to do something crazy. You might ask them to do something that's out of their uh, comfort zone. Father, I pray that maybe today they would want to just refocus, recommit, allow you to be the Lord of their life, that you can begin to convict them of their sin, work in their life, Help them through the temptations and the, storm, the storms that they face. Father, for those that are here this morning, Lord, that uh, have just simply gone about this thing called church, um, they've just been taking their boat around and seeing, you know, man, there's Jesus. I see him in this place. I see him with other people. I've experienced what he's done in the lives of others, but I've never experienced him that in my own life. Father, for those individuals that are here that have no relationship with you, Father, I pray that we, they would know it's not about the knowledge that they have of you, but it's about the relationship that they can have with you. Father, that that relationship is what saves us from the pits of hell, pulls us into the gates of heaven for all eternity. Father, our eternity is changed forever when you're the Savior and the Lord of our life. Father, this morning I pray that those individuals, Lord, that as you work in their heart right now, Father, that they would want to just turn their life over to you, that they would want to admit that they are a sinner, that they would want to believe that your son Jesus Christ is their Savior. Father, that they would just want to call on his name, turn a life over to you that's Jesus-centered. It's in your son's name that we pray. Amen.